question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. It is a Monday drive. Out of the weekend, let's get to the latest on the NFL draft. Both Ian Rappaport and Peter King are now saying the 49ers will choose between Mac Jones and Trey Lance at number three. And King says the Hall San France rendered to climb to number three has now ruined the trade market for other teams wanting to move into the top ten for a quarterback. <sighs> it's the way I expect the housing market to be affected in Raleigh with Apple announcing it's building a new campus there and bringing thousands of high-paying jobs with them. I think they said salaries are going to start at $187,000. Maybe we can get to that later. So the Niners, they're not going to take Justin Fields. And teams aren't willing to pay the price to move up, it seems. If we accept both those headlines to be true, there's a strong chance Fields could fall to the Panthers at number 8. And if he does, what happens at that point? I don't think Carolina will resist taking him. I still don't believe Fields is going to fall that far, if I'm being clear. I think somebody will probably move into the seven spot, maybe even the six spot. The Dolphins seem to have no issue moving around a bit. Maybe even Atlanta pulls the trigger, not expecting Fields to be there at four even a week ago. I don't think Fields is going to go to Carolina at eight, but I do think there's a better chance that happens than I felt going into the weekend. That's my question to you. On Twitter at SportsUpDryad, 336-777-1600. I'd be interested to know what Panther fans think about that. I have a Twitter poll up at SportsUpDryad and at Josh Graham Radio. Fields falls to eight. What should the Panthers do, draft them or trade down? 57% of those voting thus far say they should draft Justin Fields. Listen, I get Carolina just traded for Darnold, but if they were really all in on riding with him, why haven't they picked up his fifth-year option yet? Here's Scott Fitterer when he was asked about that very thing last week. No, we, we have a plan in place, and that's something we'll address after the draft, and that's what we're focused on right now, but we have a plan in place. Is that expectation to pick up the option? Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk about it after the draft, but yes, we do have a, a strong plan in place. That guy asking the question with the bad Wi-Fi, that's Joe Person. He's going to join us in about half hour to talk about this very subject and what's going on with the Panthers. They haven't picked up his option. And I think, Robert, there are two theories here why they maybe have not done this yet. Number one, they haven't done so because they might draft the quarterback. And if you draft the quarterback, I don't know if you want to be on the hook in 2022 for $18 million or whatever it's going to be for Darnold. That's the reason I subscribe to Carolina not picking up the fifth-year option just yet. The second reason might be this. You might convince teams you're willing to draft fields at that spot, and if teams believe you have no issue taking the quarterback yourself there, that could drive the price back up. That's another reason to subscribe to that theory. Which one do you buy? I mean, that's what we said. The whole the the main objective of that press conference last week was to make the number eight pick as valuable as possible. 
I believe Carolina wants to trade back. I expect them to trade back. But if the right player is available there at number eight, will they pull the trigger? I think Fields is a part of that group. Based on what I'm hearing, the Panthers, they like Fields more than they like Mac Jones and Trey Lance. I think Carolina could take Fields at number eight. I only see four, maybe five players. I'll just limit it to four. I can see Carolina taking at number eight. If they're not there, any of these four guys, they're just going to trade out. Pitts, Sewell, Jamar Chase, Justin Fields. Which means a lot, though, because Justin Fields isn't the only quarterback that could be there, right? Like, you could get, hypothetically, you could have Lance there. Mm -hmm. You could have another quarterback there. Could have Mac Jones. So if a different quarterback dropped there, they would definitely be more likely to pass out. But you're saying that if Fields is there, it would be hard. That's the only quarterback it would be hard for them to pass up. I think the price, yes. I think Carolina, it's going to be more difficult for them to pass on a quarterback if Fields is there at that spot. Conversely... I think you probably get the most value for Fields because of the upside and teams believing you would take him. Because he's the guy that could step in and probably compete right now if you're going to pick between him and Lance, right? Like if the Broncos wanted to trade up, if somebody wanted a quarterback that could play this year, hypothetically the Bears at Mm -hmm. 20, the Redskins at 19, Fields would be the guy that would probably be able to step on the field the quickest. I think, oof, that's a good question. It's either Fields or Mac Jones. Mac's numbers really good, played in the SEC, his understanding of things. Apparently, he's knocking out all the virtual interviews. So it would either be Fields or Mac Jones when you get past, say, Trevor Lawrence. Carolina, they've made moves to allow for them to take the best player, got a cornerback. You didn't really address left tackle, but Trent Scott was good at moments. And, of course, you got Greg Little that the Panthers still say they have some hope in redeeming something out of him. You got Darnold. Uh, We'll see. Later this week, it is draft week. Pretty exciting stuff. The last thing on quarterback, though, it does seem like solving the quarterback position was the top priority for Carolina. This offseason, the top priority. I'm not saying it should have been the top priority, but when David Tepper lets go of Marty Herney and one of the first things he's talking about is quarterback, We know Carolina offered a first-round pick, the number 8 pick, and some, and Teddy Bridgewater to Detroit to try and bring in Matthew Stafford. They were the team closest associated with Deshaun Watson and trying to make a trade happen there before he became untradeable. And now bringing in Sam Darnold, we know quarterback is a priority. And if you want for sure to address the quarterback position for years to come, You draft Justin Fields and figure it out later. You have Sam Darnold, he could be the answer. If it works out, you get good trade value back for him and you could still play Fields years from now. This is the position you can take chances like this with. I'm not sure if I'd exactly hate it the day after the draft. It would not be my preference, but if the board fell a particular way, it might be best for Carolina to take Justin Fields at number eight. Now let's get to the 49ers piece of this. If it really is down to Mac Jones and Lance, I think they should stick by their guns and draft Mac. 
if it really is down to those two, my reason being this, if you're going to bet big, trading up from number 12 to get to number three, and in doing so, you're going to surrender three first-round picks to make it happen, you can't fold or hedge at this point. If you loved a particular quarterback enough to get to number three, and we were led to believe it was Mac Jones, you need to follow through on that. I can disagree with the evaluation, thinking that Fields is better than Mac Jones, but I can't really knock the philosophy. If you believe Mac is the guy, you believe he's a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, somebody who can develop into that, he's a franchise guy for you, you take the quarterback. You trade up, you figure out a way to get there, you take the quarterback. That's, from a philosophical standpoint, something I can't really argue with. Go with your gut, go with your first instinct. Mac, he fits what Shanahan wants to do in a quarterback. You, you could see the comparisons between Mac Jones and Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo. Mac's actually a little bit more mobile, I'd say, than those two. The numbers. Tua, he played three seasons at Alabama. His highest, uh, his most accurate season, and he was applauded for his accuracy, was 71, 72% completion percentage. Mac Jones last year was 77% completion percentage, and he did not play any cupcakes. You're talking about a complete SEC schedule with Notre Dame and Ohio State after that. He was tested. He was great. And the thing that Mac didn't get enough credit for, I feel, last year was how he wasn't afraid to bomb it down the field. He took a ton of shots. Now, he had great weapons, great receivers. They were open, but he didn't mind taking those shots. He was accurate when he took those shots. And he never really turned over the football at key spots to cost his team. With Tua, they ran a lot more RPO than they did with Mac Jones. That is something I think can translate. We hear about the knowledge and understanding of the game. He's knocking out a lot of these interviews. If you fell in love with Mac Jones, you go ahead and take him. I know he's going to get back, Shanahan and even John Lynch as well, on Friday if this happens, Robert. But please don't forget... NFL scouts don't read mock drafts. They do the real work. They have more information than we have here. And they see a franchise quarterback. They're going to go up and get him. And it seems like they feel like Mac Jones is the guy. I'm at the point now where I'd be surprised if it's Lance over Mac. You want to make a bet real quick? Sure. I bet during the draft, once they make their pick, some NFL insider, Rappaport, someone, we will get a tweet that says something along these lines. (laughs) <laughs> the 49ers get their guy. They knew who they wanted all along. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I, they're they're going to say they never. it was never a question who yeah, they wanted. Yeah. That We're going to get a tweet like this. Uh-huh. Shanahan knew he wanted Mac Jones when they traded up. They never faltered. Yeah, and that's why they went to North Dakota State. Bingo. And they went to Columbus. Bingo. We're still going to get the tweet. I already... I already know I'm going to have the guy saying, what about what you said last week? They're coming to their senses with Fields. Not well... It was based on good info. It's draft season, baby. Stuff changes. It does. But when it comes down to it, you go with your initial gut. You go with what led you to trade up from number 12 to number 3. 
I might not like Mac Jones in that spot, and I don't. But philosophically, I can't knock it. Joe Person going to be here in a little over 15 minutes. Trevor and Zach Wilson, they are my two favorite players in this draft, Robert. My third favorite player is currently falling in every mock draft that I see. I'll tell you who that is and why it's infuriating me. Next. The Drive with Josh Graham. He's confident, smart, witty, vicious, brutal, vindictive, a monster. This is an evil man. Maybe, but he knows his sports. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Somebody that's on top of all things Carolina Panthers. And it's been the case for... I'd say probably over a decade now. Joe Person now joining us with The Athletic. It's draft week. I appreciate you spending the time with us here. And I said on Friday, after hearing what Scott and and Matt Rule had to say about the draft and the rumors that have been circling about them trading back and the report from Adam Schefter, they'd probably prefer to move back in the draft. But in order for that to happen, Joe... I think you and I are aligned with this, that the best-case scenario for Carolina is them probably moving back, maybe even to number 15 to the Patriots spot. What do you think Scott Fitterer views to be adequate compensation? What does that look like if Carolina were to move back from number 8? Well, you know, the Niners set the bar pretty high by giving the uh, Dolphins three first-round picks uh, this year's and two future first to get up from, you know, where were they, 12 to, to uh, up to three. So that's a similar type of jump. I, you know, I don't think you can expect to get that much because the, the Niners did it, you know, early. But um, it's a haul. And, and frankly, I think the Niners doing that hurt some of these other teams chances of, of trading back because you know, it just set the bar so high. So, you know, would fitter be willing to take a little bit less of a, of a package, you know, if, 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 as you said, if he wanted to go back to 15 with new England, and that is certainly as far back as I think they would go, um, you know, tw- you know, 12, there's been some talk that the Eagles might be looking to after having traded out, uh, with Miami now looking to trade back in, but it's tough. I mean, you, there are lots of teams always, there's always more teams that want to trade back than, than want to trade up. And, um, so, so that's kind of the reality. I, I mean, certainly it's his preference. It wouldn't surprise me if they end up staying put and, and taking a, a top 10 pick, uh, on Thursday night. He's on Twitter at Joseph Person from The Athletic, the Panthers beat writer, joining us here on Sports Up Dryant. You reported last week that the Panthers, out of the quarterbacks that could be available to them at number eight, like Justin Fields, like Fields more than Mac Jones and Trey Lance. We saw the reports from Peter King at Ian Rappaport in the last day or so that say the Niners are focused on either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. And if what you're saying is true that the Niners kind of ruined the market for a team to want to trade up ahead of Carolina to take a guy like Fields, I think there's a stronger chance Fields could fall to Carolina at number eight. Here's my question to you. If Fields is there at eight and 
Fitterer's not getting adequate compensation in his mind to want to move back, say, to number 15. Do you think Carolina would would pull the trigger on Fields? Uh, my gut says no. I, I feel like, I, I, again, I, I understand why they would. I, I, and frankly, the conversation of whether they should is a different argument. Yeah. But I just feel like in Sam Darnold, you know, that, that they, you know, they've been working on Darnold for a while. Like this wasn't like, just like, you know, knee jerk reaction. We're not going to get to Sean Watson. Let's go get the next best thing. Like they did a lot of work on, on Darnold, right? You know, guys like Luke Keekley in the pro scouts department, breaking down the film, Matt rule who had, who had met Darnold when he was, or had zoomed with them when when Rule was interviewing for the Jets job a couple years ago, but hadn't you know didn't get far enough where he broke down the tape. He broke down Darnold's tape from the last three years, and I think they feel like he can be the guy in a different system. Now, to, to me, until you know that for sure, I think you you keep collecting pieces because guess what? If it's even if Darnold is the guy and and Justin. Fields is a backup for a couple years. That's a huge trade chip. I mean, we see it in Green Bay all the time. That most recently now with Jordan Love. That if if, if you you hang on, if, if if you decide to move on from Aaron Rodgers, well then you you got a trade chip with Rodgers. So I think it would be worth doing. I think they should do it. I don't know that they will. How long do you believe the wish list to be? For Carolina at number eight. Now, of course, you'd love for Trevor Lawrence to fall to you there, but I mean, among the realistic options, who do you think's on Fitterer's board that they believe there is a chance they can get him at eight? And if those guys aren't there, eh, well, we'd probably prefer trading back. I think it's five guys. I think it is Pitts, Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell. Um, I think it is Patrick Sertain, and I think Fields is there wow. for the reasons we just discussed. Wow, Sertain, um, that's a surprising one. You know, he's the, he's, he's the safest, most ready day one corner, although I, I don't think, and this is the tradeback scenario again, I don't think J.C. Horn's that far behind him, and so... Uh, in, in my latest mock, I had them trade him back and still get Horn at 15, which, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that may not happen. The other guy that's worth interesting at that corner position is Caleb Farley because I've been told there are people in the organization that really are high on Caleb Farley if you could just be confident about the medical. And I think there are some teams, probably the Panthers included, that are going to – uh, you know, get kind of do an even deeper dive. And, you know, you know, he went to Indianapolis with 150 other guys, uh, Caleb Farley did for the recheck. But I think the Panthers and other teams who are remotely interested are going to even do follow-up testing. And um, he's got a lot of upside. Uh, you know, it, it, I just don't know if you can trade out of a sure thing at eight, I mean, as sure a thing as you can get. Um back to let's say 15 and then roll the dice on Farley cuz if the medicals end up blowing up in your face then what have you got you've traded out of 8 
and you got nothing, at least in this year's draft, potentially to show for it. I thought the fifth name you were going to mention was going to be Rashawn Slater, but the more and more I've seen reports, is it a situation where Sewell is far and away the best left tackle that you can take in this draft, and maybe the evaluation isn't that far off, similar to the way you were talking about Sertain versus J.C. Horn, maybe Rashawn Slater isn't that much higher on the Panthers' draft board than, say, a Christian Darasaw or even at guard Elijah Vera Tucker? Yeah, I think I think it's a couple. There are a couple things at play here. One is there are a lot of teams, and maybe the Panthers included, that think Slater ultimately is going to be a guard. And do you want to expend a number eight pick on a guard? Probably not. Uh, would you give up? Would you take a guard at twelve or fifteen? Maybe so. Uh, especially because maybe he ends up becoming a left tackle, but I know a lot of teams think he's going to end up as a guard. Um, but then your second part of that is absolutely valid too, in that this is a very deep tackle class. I mean, maybe not in Penny Sewell's range, but um, I think you could even wait past Darisol and Slater and get to what do they pick thirty nine? Yeah, uh, in the second round. And I, I've I've linked them a couple times to like a Liam Eichenberg at Notre Dame, three-year starter at left tackle. He's been playing in a system that has produced three other first-round left tackles before him. And um, it, you know, no, might not be a Sewell. Might not be talking about him going to the Pro Bowl every year, but looks like he could be a plug-and-play guy at left tackle. And uh, and you were able to get him at, at thirty-nine. And still take care of a you know either either a need or you know if somebody like Jamar Chase falls to you you know you you, you can splurge a little bit in the first round and still come back and get your tackle later. Joe Person, appreciate the insight. Good luck on what I know is going to be a really busy week for you. I appreciate it, man. Have a good week. You got it, Joe Person, joining us here on Sports Up Triad right at the end of our conversation there. A fire alarm just started going off. Thank goodness for soundproof studios that we have here. But Robert, he was afraid, just stepped out of the control room. Is everything all right out there? <laughs> yeah, they're just testing it. It's so funny to me. They'll be like, hey, we're going to test a fire alarm tomorrow, probably about 9 a.m., 9.30. We'll get around to it. Then right in the middle of the radio show. <laughs> you can't it beat happens. it. Can't beat it. Okay. Robert, we've got... We're going to do mock drafts every day this week leading up to the draft. I think Thursday's the day we'll do our full first-round mock draft. Our like first that. round mocking the draft. We'll do that. Today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, though, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. We like to have fun around here. What we're going to do, we're going to have different kinds of drafts, per se. I think with the Oscars being last night, I wanted it to be movie-themed here. So me and Robert, we're going to draft a five-man crew of movie villains here. That's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to draft movie villains. If there are other subjects you think might be good to do draft, do drafts for the next couple of days. We're willing to hear those. Five-man crews of movie villains. That's what we're drafting next on The Drive. 
people got the popcorn, let's give them a show. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Our job can be so stupid sometimes. I went into Robert's office earlier today and said, but the Oscars last night, we're going to do a movie villains draft. But I may have said, I want it to be like a five-man crew, like maybe the way that it all comes together like the Avengers, that's kind of what I want it to be. And Robert (laughs) took that as me saying, it's just going to be super villains for me. I've got... Ten super villains on my mock on I'm my like, big who are board you thinking, here, man. Who's the number one pick here? Is it is it Bane? Is it oh, is I didn't Thanos? Even, I didn't even think of Bane. Let Don't add that. that no, no, I'm releasing my secrets. I've got Bane written down eleventh on my big board now. Uh, it is a movie villain draft. Robert Scott, the first pick. We're going to have a five-man crew. It's important to try and figure out how this all works together. You want to have a team that works together congruently here, Robert. I agree with that. You've got the number one pick. What direction are you headed in here? I I agree that things need to be uh, relatable through the whole group. And I think that there's a structure that I will not share with you yet. I need to make some picks first because (laughs) I I feel like I'm a little shorthanded here with the draft prep. But I, I feel like... First and foremost, you need a leader. You need somebody who's going to tell this group what to do so they can be concise and they can be accurate and they can do their evil things quickly. And I think that that guy for me is going to be Darth Vader. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Darth Vader's the best movie villain ever. Robert has taken him off the big board. Okay. So you're going Vader. Don't take means- that. Don't take the white chick from Get Out. That's my next pick. Don't take her. I actually might have. Which one are you talking about? You're talking about Allison Williams or you're talking about Katherine Keener? I'm talking about the chick eating Cheerios in her bed with milk one by one. Oh, that's who you're talking about. Yeah, Missy Artemidge actually might be on my big board. Oh, no. But with my first pick, I'm going with, do I have the draft noise to oh, let you know that the pick's it. in? I'm going Heath Ledger Joker. There you go. Okay. Not bad. You need a leader. That guy really cares about the craft. I care about <laughs> my craft. Remember he said you need a better class of villain, Robert? You guys only care about money? No, I just care about being a really good villain. That's why Heath Ledger Joker is the number one pick. All right. For me, uh, I, this guy comes from my superhero list because he would have been my number one pick overall. Uh, along with a leader, I think you need brains and you need an X factor. Oh no, you're gonna definitely take my pick. I know where you're headed. No, I don't. I don't think so. This guy's a superhero and he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So, I I think this guy brings the X factor. I'm gonna draft Magneto, number two. Wow, is Magneto a bad guy? He, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was going against Charles Xavier. They worked together when it was like X Men against like the government when they were trying to abolish all of the X Men. But. Okay. Overall, I think Magneto, yeah, he is scorned by humanity. He is a bad guy. All right, you got Magneto. Since the father won Best Picture, or actually didn't win Best Picture, that's a lie. Since Hannibal Lecter (laughs) is still on the board here and Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for his performance in The Father yesterday, I'm going to go with Hannibal as my second pick. 
And I'm gonna take it with some fava beans. <laughs> uh, this is so hard. He seems like a really cool hang, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, I bet. You're... See, if you don't piss him off. Wait, are we talking about the actual serial killer or Hannibal? Uh... Hannibal Lecter okay. is the serial killer. Anthony Hopkins is the person. Who's the cool hang? Hopkins. Hannibal Lecter. Oh, <laughs> okay, maybe. He seems like a cool hang. I mean, he would like, have your back if somebody like did something nasty to you. Like Kim and Jodie Foster were just kicking it. I enjoyed just hanging out with those guys. I think he would be a really good team player. Hannibal Lecter is my second pick, pairing him with the Joker. You've got Darth Vader and Magneto. Where are you headed next? Okay, part of my big group where uh, I think the group works together if there is a cohesive unit. Uh I think after leader and brains, the next thing you need to have is the muscle. And so instead of going with my superhero thing, I think I'm going to shift to horror, and I'm going to take Jason Voorhees. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to go with Hans Gruber there. I was worried for a second. So you're taking Jason and his mask Correct. off the board here. My third pick is in. And now you I'm get the draft go, noise. I always forget to give it to myself. I'm going to go superhero route. Thanos mm. is my third pick. There you go. Man, if you're in the Avengers and you're working together with all these super super villains, I don't think you're going to have any problem working alongside Joker and Hannibal Lecter. That's really important to me, how you're going to play along with others. Thanos, he is my third pick. I need to combat some of your superheroism that's going to be in your draft. And I do that with Thanos. We got Power two picks drops. remaining. Uh, we, do have to, uh, we do have two picks remaining. And this is where it gets funny for me because I, I want to have a cool group on paper where you're like, oh, man, look at these guys. They look so cool. But then I also want to stay true to myself. And I love animals, Josh. You know I love animals. And I think I need someone who is able to help us, all, not just on land, but in the water. I'm going to take the shark from Jaws. <laughs> I considered the shark from Jaws. <laughs> you, if you got a boat, you got, you're in the water. I considered it, but man, it's so limited. It's so limited what the Magneto. shark can do. Magneto could get him a little metal thing. Magneto could pick him up. You'd be <laughs> flying along. All of a sudden, this full metal shark oh, get dropped on your you're team. Going with Jaws, not Ron Jaworski. <laughs> he could be Jaws. Okay, the picks in. Robert forgot to play the noise for himself <sighs> again. Dude, none of these picks count. I forfeited all of my picks. <laughs> if the noise doesn't play, did the draft actually happen? There are three in the brains category I'm looking at really closely right now, Robert. Three that I'm... I don't want to reveal who they are right now because i got a feeling you're going to take one if I mention who they are. My five is set, so you're good. I'm going to go Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. Okay. I need some brains in the operation here. Amy Dunn from Gone Girl, just because... The same actress played such an evil character in I Care A Lot on Netflix. Mike DeCourcy even going as far to say the most hateable villain he can remember ever watching. Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. Anybody who's watched that movie knows exactly what I'm talking about here. She could be the real brains alongside Joker, Hannibal Lecter, and Thanos. Robert, what's your final pick? You've got Vader, Magneto... Jason and Jaws, the actual shark. 
Who's your fifth pick? Okay, on my team... Please pick Dr. Evil. I'm not picking Dr. Evil to break this down. I feel like with Dr. Uh, Dr. Evil, D- Darth Vader, you've got the Force, you've got strength, you've got uh, technology with the lightsaber, Magneto, you've got superpowers, Jason, you've got this otherworldly evilness strength, and with Jaws, I think I have the animal stuff covered, so I don't really need anything but an X Factor. So here, I'm going to go HAL 9000... From Space Odyssey. Whoa! So I know it's a computer system, but it's super advanced that I feel like it would be able to hack into any other systems. You have any kind of technology, HAL is going to be able to break in. You got a missile system that's about to shut down some Magneto stuff, HAL's going to be in there. HAL ain't got to do it. He's like the, uh, what's the the dude that talked to the Power Rangers when they. No idea. Well, anyway, Zordon. HAL is like my Zordon. He's got it covered at the main hub of villainry. And he's going to be able to take down any kind of uh, technology stuff that goes on. So how 9,000 wrapping out my team? I think I'm going to reach here. I'm going to reach with my final pick. I've got Joker, Hannibal Lecter, Thanos, and also Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. I don't know if this guy is going to make the team. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if this guy is going to ruin the team. He very well might. This might be a reach, but I'm going Lord Voldemort. Mm. He who shall not be named just because Sarah Bradford loves Harry Potter more than anybody I know. Voldemort. I don't know if he's a good team player. That's my big concern here. I I agree with that. I feel like you have a lot of individuals who are used to holding the reins on your team, and now it's like the Nets. Like, there's only so much ball to go around. How is Thanos and Joker both going to be shooting threes? You know what I mean? (laughs) So our teams, it's now final. You've got Darth Vader, Magneto, Jason, Jaws. <laughs> Who did you take with your fifth pick? Uh, HAL 9000, the oh, computer from uh, a Space Hal Odyssey. <laughs> I've got Joker, Hannibal, not Hannibal Burris, Hannibal Lecter. Almost said Hannibal Burris. <laughs> hey, he would be a good member of that team, though. Bill Cosby was almost my fifth pick. Uh, see, I almost went Syndrome from The Incredibles. <laughs> Thanos... Uh, Voldemort and Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. <laughs> I, I look at my big board. John Doe from Seven was there. And also Missy Artemidge. She has hypnosis powers from, from uh, Get Out. Great point. Yeah, that could have been used. I'll, I'll pick her up as a UFA after this ends. There you go. Who has the better squad? 336-777-1600. I'll ask Sam Farber. Sam could maybe help us pick which of these villain teams he'd be more afraid to go up against. In what? Like, you have to face this team? What would happen if the Hornets... (laughs) The Hornets played 5-on-5. The Shark... (laughs) The Shark from Jaws, Darth Vader, Magneto, Jason... And HAL 9000 from Space Odyssey. <laughs> well, I think Magneto would suck, man, because there's nothing metal that he can mess with. You He's know? got ups, though. He does have ups. He has a metal helmet, too. I wonder if he could, like, change his body around. Uh-huh. Vader, though, with the force, I feel like he's just draining full court shots. It's unbelievable. Hannibal Lecter's just eating people. <laughs> he's, like, biting the Dude, shark. Thanos would be LeBron, though. He'd be snapping, and half my team would be gone. Amy Dunn's crafty. Very crafty. He's going to get you a hard two. Mm-hmm. Nice layup by Dunn. The Hornets, speaking of them, big weekend for the Charlotte Hornets. 
They uh, took care of business Friday against Cleveland. Then they beat Boston badly yesterday. That was on ESPN. Some national love for Charlotte. More wins in the last three days than they've had the previous two weeks, Robert. And they needed it. You look at the standings. They're a game and a half back of Boston for that number six spot. They're still eighth behind the Heat, so the Heat are slightly ahead of them. But you got a game against Boston later on this week. Help hasn't arrived yet, but the reports out there say that Malik Monk and LaMelo Ball are very close to returning. We hope Gordon Hayward's going to be back sometime soon as well. What do you make of the Degenerate Kings team here? He's got Hella. Emperor Palpatine, Sauron, Freddy Krueger, Max Cady. That's not a bad team because I mean, you, Lord we, Sauron's a great pick. It, it is, but like, is this the? Are we just pretending that he's at his top power? Does he have the ring, or does he not have the ring? He's strong without the ring, but not as strong as he is with the ring. And now it really is my honor to talk about Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Even though we're based in the triad, we always got to keep a close eye on what's happening in the triangle and also in the Queen City because slowly but surely it impacts what's happening here locally. Apple picking Raleigh for a $1 billion campus, thousands of high-paying new jobs expecting to follow with it. I'll give you my thoughts on that in just a bit. The Charlotte Hornets, two wins from over the weekend, taking care of the Cavs on Friday and the Boston Celtics yesterday and on the call for both those games as you listen to probably right here on sports up giant is sam farber the radio voice of the hornets kind enough to join us now i'm seeing some reports from the day that say malik monk and Lamelo ball they're close to returning how soon do you believe might be too soon to expect those two back in the lineup well it can't come too soon that's for sure yeah. i think you know, they, they are starting to resume basketball activities, or they're, they're closer to that stage than they are to actually setting foot on the floor in an NBA game. To, to what I have been told, they have not started yet actively practicing or doing four-on-four, five-on-five, which is a significant step that needs to happen. But they're trending in that direction. So uh, people are optimistic here. The team has certainly found a way to play well without them. But once they're back on the floor, I think this team really takes a jump in terms of what it's capable of. How big do you believe yesterday was? And given where Boston is in the standings, how big are you willing to say Thursday's matchup's going to be? Well, it, it was huge in the sense that this team, after what it's been through with the injuries, had almost been relegated to the fact that the top six is basically you know, close to out of the question at this point, and now the focus has to be on maintain your position in the play-in tournament, see where, where you're going to stack up there. With the win over Boston, it changes things because it makes making the top six a possibility. And as you mentioned, that next matchup with Boston is critical because not only is it a chance to gain a game on one of the teams in the top six that you have to catch, but it also would give you the tiebreaker against the Celtics as well as the Heat. You hold that hammer. You also hold it against Atlanta. So if you can get into a tie with any of them, tiebreaker would go to Charlotte. Sam Farber with us here. He's on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. 
listen to, uh, listen to them tomorrow night as the Hornets get set to face the Milwaukee Bucks. Do I have the broadcasting locale right that you plus Eric Collins and uh, Del Curry are sitting in the Spectrum Center as the Hornets are on the road? Do I have that right? That is correct. <laughs> are there times, because I'd imagine the Spectrum Center is empty, you fear that Eric Collins is being too loud that it's going to seep onto the radio broadcast. I'm worried sometimes I seep onto his. You know, the the uh, plexiglass <laughs> works in our favor, I think, um, from that perspective. But home and road, you know, I'll see a big play happen in front of me or on the monitor, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see Eric falling out of his chair because it's not. It is not an act. It is his genuine reaction, and I think that's what has endeared him so much to the fans. There is nothing fake about an Eric Collins call. It is how he would react to what he has just witnessed, whether he was sitting next to you on the couch in the living room, at a bar, in the stands next to you. That's Eric, and and that's what I love about his calls. It is honest and genuine, and it's what makes it such a special broadcast. You were texting me last week riding through the triad when I asked the question, is Miles Bridges the best in-game dunker in the NBA, and you said there's no doubt about it. What do you think separates Miles, though, from some of the other dunkers we see across the league? I think it's the athletic ability. I I liken it to, you know, a Miles Bridges dunk. I read someone write something to this effect, that a Miles Bridges dunk is like a sack in football. You know, is it... A dunk is worth the same thing as a mid-range jumper, just like a sack is worth the same thing as, generally speaking, a five-yard false start penalty. But we all know that these plays mean a lot more in terms of the momentum of a game. And Miles Bridges, much like an elite defensive end who's just got that perfect pass rush athleticism, Miles is perfectly made for having those kinds of plays. His athletic ability and prowess allows him to jump over anyone in the league. So it's not just he gets a breakaway and he's capable of doing a windmill or behind the back of 360 or whatnot. Yes, he's got all those tricks up his sleeve as well. But if he's coming down the lane and Clint Capella is standing in his way, he is fearless. He's not going to alter things. He's going to jump over one of the best shot blockers in the league and try and put it down the, th- the cylinder. And, and he has that ability. It is unique in the game, and it is one of the unique talents in the history of the game, I think. It is a hot-button issue in the NBA right now, the play-in tournament, which the NBA is expected to make permanent. I'm seeing a report from the last 10 to 15 minutes. The Hornets are expected to be involved in the play-in tournament this year. And I see both sides of it. I see how some might dislike it, considering what the first round of the NBA has been for a very long time. But the other end of it, take the Chicago Bulls-Hornet game from last week, I don't know how big of a game that really is if not for the playoff format. So maybe more teams are engaged and not tanking because of the format of the play-in tournament. Where do you stand on it? I I personally like it a lot. On the one hand, from what you said, you know, it prevents teams from tanking as much. There, There are more opportunities to make the playoffs and have things to shoot for, so I think that's always a positive. But I also think within the playoffs, it accentuates 
competition. It makes you want to earn that next spot higher. I mean, previously in the playoffs, you'd want to be the one seed because then you have home court advantage all the way through. Two seeds also important because then you have home court advantage until you make the finals in theory. Uh, the difference between four and five was significant, having home court advantage versus not. But then after that, everything was kind of the same. So if you know you're not going to make it to fourth, what is your your incentive really to compete harder and try and move up to you know fifth versus staying in seventh other than trying to avoid an elite team whereas now with the way it's set up there is a lot to be gained from being sixth versus seventh avoiding the plan or not being in it seventh versus eighth you get to be the host for the play-in games and need to win one out of two if you're seventh and eighth versus have to sweep them both if you're ninth or tenth. So I think there's all that much more to compete for. It makes it a more entertaining product on the court. And to be fair, traditionally speaking, historically speaking, the teams that are seventh and eighth are not necessarily favorites to advance out of the play-in tournament. So it gives you something to play for, to win for. And in the case of a young team like the Hornets, that experience is invaluable. I think we are going to see LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham, this young core for the Hornets, take a huge jump because of this experience over the next month, month and a half here for the Hornets than they otherwise would have. He's on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Listen to him right here on Sports Up Trying. Tomorrow night, it's going to be the Hornets going up against Milwaukee. Something dumb on the way out. Uh, we're doing drafts, mock drafts, every single day this week leading up to the NFL draft. But uh, we're doing drafts that aren't necessarily sports-related at points. Since the Oscars was last night, Robert and I did a movie villain draft. So you just let me know which of these two lineups is the is more diabolical in terms of just evil movie villain drafts that me and Robert did. Robert put together Darth Vader, Magneto, Jason with the mask and all, Jaws the Shark, and... Hal 9000 from Space Odyssey. And I've got Heath Ledger's Joker, Hannibal Lecter, Thanos, Amy Dunn from Gone Girl, and Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter. Ooh, good list. I'm going to go with, as much as I like the Joker and Heath Ledger, I, I went into, when you said the question, I thought whoever's got Heath Ledger on it is going to win it. But I think the overall, the first list might have it. Wow. Uh, Robert Walsh, Congratulations. You, you've won this list. Sam Farber is our... I mean, he's great at doing the play-by-play -play and calling the action as he sees it. He sees it an all-evil off that Magneto, Jason, and Darth Vader are taking it to Heath Ledger. I'm honored and privileged. Appreciate it. <laughs> Sam, you're the best, man. Good to hear from you. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll catch up somewhere down the line, I'm sure. Absolutely appreciate you guys and your coverage, and uh, thrilled for the great news about Apple up in your neck of the woods. And also, you know, hoping uh, as things continue to open up here, some fans make the drive down to Charlotte, come catch a game. We're doing the, the social distance thing, masks are required, but it's a great atmosphere. We'd love to have you down for the final home stretch here. Yeah, I'm looking at a couple games as well. Thanks for the call, Sam. Appreciate that from the Hornets. Uh, I'm looking at maybe that Pelicans game on May the 9th. Try to get out there and watch Zion.